In London, technology is the Silicon Roundabout. Introducing a new talk show dedicated to the people of the London technology startup scene. Silicon Real. Each week, interviewing entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, financial technology, accelerators, and incubators in an exciting three-person format. Learn about the people behind the innovation. Locally filmed, locally sourced. Silicon Real. It's about the people. Here we go. This is Silicon Real, the weekly talk show dedicated to the people of the London technology startup scene. I am Brian Rose. I host London Real. Uh, it's a similar studio. We get some cool people in the room. We try to figure some things out. Uh, we've had uh, guys like Neil deGrasse Tyson, the celebrity astrophysicist. We had uh, Tim Ferriss from the four-hour uh, workweek body chef. Um, I know everything, right? I even had uh, George Galloway in here, the member of parliament, and he charmed my pants off. It was uh, the, the strangest performance I've ever seen. And I I fell for it. So uh, check that out at LondonReal.tv. But today we're here to talk tech. Uh, my co-host is Colin Pyle. You've been gone for six weeks. Uh, did you miss us? That's what I want to know. Did you miss us? I missed it immensely. Really? Yeah. I'm just saying I that. I missed the conversations. Right. I feel like I was I was left out, and I was listening to you guys. You know, you had Patrick on here as co-host, and yeah. you know Dawson, and then. Debu. And then Debu, he, yeah. just, he just showed me up. So I know. You so know we, it's like I'm, so we, I, I'm, I'm the weak link here. You know, we we got to get Debu back in. He I know. We had Debu on, who yeah. was, uh, he's the entrepreneur in residence for Octopus Investments. He was at Google for six years doing corporate development. He was the guest. And then the next week, he showed up in the co-host chair. Yeah. And I was thinking, this is like House of Cards. Like, the next week, he's going to be in my chair. <laughs> exactly. I was like, geez. And Debu, you, wouldn't, you know, you never know. You know? Yeah. I mean, that yeah. guy's probably. And so, but he's not here, so I feel pretty good. There we go. Um, but yeah, it was crazy while you were gone. But, you know. No, thanks for being back. It is fun. The show is fun. It's great. To quote the CEO of EasyJet, it's the most fun you can have with your clothes on. <laughs> Did he say that? That's what he said about building EasyJet, the Irish guy. Right? Okay, okay. Yeah, it's all good. Um, uh, before I get on with the show, I just wanted to thank our sponsor, uh, which are the folks at LendInvest. Uh, they're a P2P lending platform focused on uh, the property lending industry in the UK. Um, they just uh, broke 100 million pounds in money invested. Uh, we just had their uh, founder on, Christian Faze, about a month ago. Yeah. It's uh, a really cool business. It's a fascinating niche they have. Uh, you can kind of uh, get some pretty good returns on kind of bridge loan financing for kind of UK property in London. So uh, a big thanks to those guys. You can find out more on LendInvest.com. They're uh, members of the Innovate Finance, uh, which is a new trade body uh, to promote the growing fintech sector. Uh, you guys are on that. Um, yep. And so is uh, Doodil, which was on here a couple months ago, TransferWise from a year ago. So uh, yeah. maybe you can tell us more about uh, Innovate sure. Finance. So uh, thanks to those guys. Uh, let's get on with the show. I'll introduce this gentleman here to my left. It's uh, Mr. Uh, Nick Hungerford who is the CEO of Nutmeg, uh, the company on a mission to democratize saving and investing. Absolutely. Uh, you guys provide online portfolio management service to anyone with as little as a thousand pounds to invest. Uh, you just raised a $32 million funding round uh, with people uh, like my former CEO, Michael Spencer of ICAP. I had no idea. Um, and uh, some other uh, 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 investors. Um, it's just so exciting to see these big rounds coming out. Huge. Right? Due deal and TransferWise. It's like, this is this yeah. is happening right and it's the, happening here right yeah. i know in London. That's right. Fantastic. But yeah, even a year ago we weren't talking yeah. about this yeah so. transfer was like 25 due deal was like 22 and yeah. and brand watch too was like 20 yeah so no yeah that's yeah, true so it's, it's really a chunky investment so yeah. Yeah. uh that's great to see uh nick before that you were at barclays wealth management uh before you headed west and went to california uh for your mba at stanford i want to get your vibe on the on the silicon valley scene but uh for now uh welcome to silicon real 
Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being here. This yeah. will be a lot of fun. You know, I first heard about you guys when I was on the tube, uh, which shows that tube ads work. And I do take the tube because yeah. I'm a man of the people. There we go. You know, and I saw your ads up there, and you got a kind of you got these guys with kind of skinny legs and skinny arms, and I was like, what is this? And uh, I was like, what is this? I've never heard of this. And you have a name like Nutmeg, which obviously isn't immediately identifiable to a brand, or it's not. You know, it doesn't have the word banking or finance in it. And then um, the more I learned about it, I was just like you know what, I don't even have an option when it comes to my own wealth management. And I come from the banking industry. And like, as soon as my local bank wants to sell me an equity link note, I'm just like, no, 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 no. Because I know how much money we used to take out of those things. <laughs> and so like, I don't trust anybody uh, to, with my money because I just, I can't see it. Um, and it doesn't seem transparent. I can't check up on it. And so I was more interested about you guys. So I was wondering if you could tell us about the genesis of Nutmeg and if what I'm telling you is what you hear all the time. Sure, sure. Well, I am going to tell you about Nutmeg, and I would never miss a good opportunity to plug the brand yes, but or what we do. But let me start with some fun stories because you, you highlighted a bit on the name there. We actually tested over eight months 519 names to get to Nutmeg. Really? This, this, we have a horrendous Google Doc, and I promise you some of them were just so disgusting <laughs> and I am so glad that we didn't go with them you used to be Hungry Finance right? well I mean Hungry Finance was a placeholder name okay. um, when you were creating you know, the concept it's a fantastic play on words this is how creative I get you is that because it's your surname? Hungry Food Hungry Finance okay, right. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, but also quite a good one actually the thing about Hungry Finance was it was very uh, Marmite you either loved it or you hated it right. and, and it was especially for, for females that we tested the name with a group of them said absolutely I love this it's purposeful it's meaningful but a group said it's very greedy, um, you know, it doesn't mean anything, it sounds to me like an existing incumbent. Um, most of the male population we tested with were a bit more neutral and were just like, oh, I don't get that. So we knew we had to change, and it took us eight months, and went through this whole process of trying to decide whether we wanted one of the four types of names. So did we want a type of name that was aspirational? And so many times in finance you have these aspirational names, you know, named after planets. Right. You know, okay. Pluto and Neptune and all this. Or like, okay, like yeah. Fidelity or something. Right, okay, right. right. Okay, yeah, right. exactly. Um, the second type of name that you can have uh, is, uh, you know, a, a name of, of whoever it is that started the company, right? So we could have Colin and Nick. Right? Mark, Marks and Spencer. Hey, okay, there right, you go. Okay. Or, or Sainsbury's, right? Or right. Walmart or whatever it is, but... Actually, Colin Nick Coffee isn't bad, is it? I think we could, we could, we could. I just got, I just got right out of the way. Exactly. Jesus. Uh, Well, uh, I mean, you can invest. Silent investor. Founders equity gone. You have, um, you have three. uh, uh, The third type of name is is just a made up name. So the the best example of this that everybody knows is Yahoo with an exclamation mark. Okay, that was one of the first. Just we are one of the first, one of the most famous. Just doesn't mean anything. Completely out of the blue, yeah. And then you have uh, the fourth type of name, which is something that represents an existing word and has an association, but is not relevant to the subject that you're dealing with. So, two most famous examples in tech community would probably be Amazon and Apple. I was thinking Orange in the UK, but Orange I guess that's phone, a mobile yeah, service. Yeah. Amazon and Apple, right? Completely. Right, Amazon's a great one. Right. Well, so is Apple. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Amazon really is our sort of, you know, our, the strategic company we look at um, and, and look up to. But Nutmeg is, it fits into those categories. And the reason we went with Nutmeg was it was the only name that tested in our focus groups at above 50% for trust hmm. out of everything. And so we knew it was familiar. People, people remember it. People would be inquisitive when they saw it on our advertising. People trusted the name. Uh, and, uh, you know, we paid a fair amount for the domain, but uh, we got it now. 
That's fascinating. And they do the test groups, the focus groups. How do you do that? Do you outsource that to someone and they interview? Or yeah, uh, wow. I mean that's that's a that's such an important subject for nutmeg. So we we are massive fans of design, and, and really this comes back to our Californian sort of upbringing for nutmeg. Uh, we learned over there, and, and and both our designers, our head designers, went to went to Stanford as well. They were a part of the design school. One one was a, a Berkeley PhD, and and he taught at Stanford, and then the other one was. Um, I always tell him he's the boy wonder at the design school, and they, um, you know, they have such an emphasis on you know the right ways to do design, and and how we do it is through deep ethnographic research. So we will spend four or five hours at a time observing people and observing their behaviours, and not asking them what they want, right? Because you have that old Henry Ford adage: if I'd asked people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse, right? So you've actually got to observe people and figure out what they need. And then it's your job, you know, this is what Steve Jobs said, it's your job to design something that is beautiful and fulfills that need. And so then when they go, oh, wow, like this does it in a way I never imagined, then you know you've, you're on the path to success. So our, our, we did do focus groups and we bring them in-house and we have lots of people talking. But more important with the, those focus groups is to watch how they react to each other, you know, especially when they talk about subjects like money and see what emotions that brings out, and then take away the unseen things and meet the unmet needs, which is, which is the fascinating part of so it. So this, this isn't just the user experience. This is the whole concept of your company. Concept, not right. I mean, let, you took a long time to do that. Right? Uh, yeah, we took, we took over a, a year, year to do this. because just, we, we, It really shows. So, like I, so I just registered you know, oh, this week you. for you guys, and it's like the, the user experience, the design, the whole way through it was you know, smooth. so smooth. And I, there's a few few companies that just just smash it out of the park, right? And so I thought you guys were great. I think Yplan, their app, is incredible in terms right. of just really simplicity, good. user experience. Uber's and pretty good, Uber's, right? Uber's, yeah. And it's just like, it takes time. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, it should feel like it's, it's really, well, it should be really quick whilst feeling really conscientious mm-hmm. and really solid. And I've learned so much about this. And it's the same for physical stores as well, right? So when you're designing... Apple's the a good phys- example. Right, the yeah. physical store yeah. that you go in, it, that's got to be everything about your brand. Right. Um, well, the studio is a good example, right? It feels comfortable, it feels professional, it's not, you know, like underground and, you know, hidden away. And so when, you, you know, when you're looking at this design, you just need to be so careful. And a year, I think, is, you know, it's a long time in tech terms before you start building something. But actually, in reality, what we're trying to do is transform a 400, 500, 600-year-old industry that has forever been... You know, bank out. We're going to be open nine till five. We're going to give you a product that is called insurance, right? And you're going to eat it, whether you like the taste of it or not. And we're trying to be consumer in. And if I give one example of how we do this, it's about thinking about the goals that we allow people to set up. So when people have money and they usually get to you know, five hundred thousand pounds or more, and they finally get to the stage where someone's willing to have a conversation with them about managing their money. They'll go to a private bank and they'll say, hey, you know, I've got this money. And the private banker will say, that's cool. Give it all to me. Let's decide if you're low, medium or high risk. And I'll come back in six months and we'll, you know, check on how you're, do- you're doing. Nobody, you know, unless they're some sort of behavioral scientist is going to be able to properly articulate in one word if they are low, medium or high risk. You know, what does that even mean? Well, I'm I'm low risk when I'm playing football because I don't want to break my leg. I'm high risk when I'm skiing because I go off piste. You know, 
financially, I, I, I don't know. Like maybe I'm high risk for something in the long term. I'm low risk for my house deposit. And the designers in our team thought about this and they said, well, why don't we allow people to make different buckets, different pots of investment? So you guys can set it up and you can have four buckets, one for your daughter, one for your second home in Italy, one for your fancy car, one for your retirement. And with each of those buckets, you can then say, I'm low risk, I'm medium risk, I'm high risk. And that is design, right? That is about saying, I understand how humans feel and I'm going to let them articulate that feeling through our product. And what did you learn in that one year besides what you're saying right now? What did you learn about what the customer wanted that maybe surprised you? Yeah, I mean, there's some really interesting things. So you guys obviously, um, you know, both come from across the pond and you'll know success of some of the the money aggregators. So mint.com is a very famous money aggregator. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, I'm a bit of a tech nerd and and I loved mint.com when I was over there. Great user experience, great design. It allowed you to aggregate your money. It allowed you to see things very clearly in one place. So I'm thinking, this is a great idea. Let's, let's, let's come back. Let's build this up. Um, be a good way of attracting customers, uh, like the freemium model type, type of, uh, for Nutmeg. And then when we started doing this design, it became apparent that, that British people, and I think this is probably Europeans as well, but I'm not qualified to give that judgment. British people like squirreling away their money and their accounts in different pockets. So they very, very rarely tell anyone where everything is. <laughs> and they're certainly not going to tell a website because they don't want one website knowing where everything is. Interesting. So an aggregator over here would, and has, there'd be many attempts, and they're just coming around now. But that, that really shocked me. So the dynamic there was, we love seeing everything all at once, and the dynamic here was, we love being in control of everything in different parts of our lives. So you thought about being the mint for the UK, and then you quickly realized you needed to be something different. Yeah, I think our dream was always to be you know, the investment manager that we are today. But you, know, you can bring supplementary products on all the, all the time, and that, that could have been something that we could have done to help our clients. As it turns out, they wouldn't have wanted it. So, so you, know, you learn and you, you evolve in a different way. So fast forward us to today from like the last three years. What did you guys end up accomplishing, and uh, why do you think you guys can kind of win in this space? Um, I'm guessing there's competition so uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> heavy competition, <For> money. <laughs> rich yeah. competition, you know, prepared to pay a lot of money for customers. I think, you know, we, we were lucky in the timing, right? So Occupy Wall Street, um, you know, rising markets, they, they, they have helped Nutmeg and there's no, there's no shame in saying that. But, but I think what's really attracted our customers is, is simply the, the transparency and the ease of use. Um, and it's very funny, you know, when, when we interview customers and say, what do you like about Nutmeg? The answer is sometimes quite different to what attracted you to Nutmeg. So a lot of people come in because of you know, our, our good performance, um, fingers crossed, touch wood, that will continue, our low fees. And a lot of people stay because it's transparent, right? because we're doing the hard work for them, because they can see how much effort we're putting into managing their money. You know, because we send them a video every month saying, you know, we've just bought a bit of uh, German equities because we think they're undervalued and we've sold some Italian exposure because we think the political risk is increasing. And you just don't get that level of service or communication anywhere else. You send that video out to everyone. To everyone right. and, it's, and it's, you know, v- varying for different portfolios, so you get okay. information about yours. And, and you know, that, that was a learning for me as well, knowing that people come and people stay for different reasons. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But, you know, in terms of accomplishment, I, I'm proud that we've, you know, we have won, I think, more awards for innovation this year than everyone else in the industry put together in this country. Wow. 
What know? kind of awards for the design, the UX? A lot of awards for designing UX, but also just for the way that we, we think about it and we approach it. I mean, we're now in the top 25 wealth managers in this country uh, by number of clients. Um, how many? How many? What's that number? We're, we're over um, forty thousand users at the moment. Wow! And a and big so, year on year growth, like three hundred percent. That's, that's, uh, that's not true. It's about thirty eight thousand. Sorry, about thirty eight thousand. And big growth. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's growing fast. But but some of the people on that list have taken two hundred and fifty years to get to that to get to that level of, of, of number of clients. Right? And and that's you know, that's the way that the, the technology businesses can develop rather than the one on one sale. I think word of mouth is really important to that. And what do you do? How do you deal with competition going out? I mean, obviously, if you're going against the, the non-innovating banks, I'm guessing you don't have to worry about them as much, but are there other people coming at you? How do you yeah, stay as number one? I mean, there's three, there's three um, types of competition for us. One is the high-end wealth managers, and obviously they provide a one-on-one service, whether it's a bank or a private bank or a stockbroker. And, and we, we don't play in that market for necessarily attracting customers of, of three million pounds. But our customers who are very wealthy, you know, who are, you know, generally able to access that kind of option, that they, they get it. I mean, if they come to Nutmeg, they get it. So someone with three million pounds is typically paying forty thousand pounds a year to have their money managed. I think that's totally crazy. That's a lot of money. <laughs> right? At Nutmeg, you're paying uh, about a thousand pounds, probably just one percent they under. pay to, to fill well, Yeah, the industry average is one point three seven. That's just that's just that's just to have it managed. Underlying costs, of course, will be all the rest of it. So, so it's pretty easy for those people if they want to to calculate the fact that they're saving twenty thousand pounds a year with us. Because you're less than one percent. Well, I mean, yeah, we're, Much for, for the for those high end customers, we're including all tax and stuff, not point three percent. Wow. So, so, so it doesn't take much, but then you've still got to break up the service relationship, right? So we don't actively go and do that. Those clients come to us because they've de- determined that it's better. Second competition is DIY platforms. So people, you know, and this, if, you're, if you don't have half a million pounds, this is your only option, right, for investing. So you go to Fidelity, Schwab in the States, you know, someone like that, and you're saying, I want to buy this stock, I want to buy this fund. Well, lots of people do that. And then we generally pick up those customers two, three years after they've started investing and realizing, actually, you need to be looking at this 24 hours a day, right? You need a team doing it for you. You need some help, right? Yeah. Well, you know. You do, though. You do. I mean, <laughs> Unless it's, you want to do it full time or you're a, a city guy. Right. I remember when I, when I was running my FX company, people used to day trade through us and it, they would do it like part time. Mm. I'm like, when you're doing, you know, financial services part time trading, you're saying that you're better than a guy who wakes up at like five in the morning and goes home at eight at, at night and still is, you know, researching. You're better than him. Yeah, and, and all his colleagues. Yeah, yeah, and and, and, and all their researchers and everything. Right. It's just like you're just not, and it's so hard to yeah. trade part time. Yeah, so that's our theory, right? So people on one end are smart enough about cost and performance, on the other end are smart enough about about the service. And then the third competitor, frankly, is apathy. Right, and it's just people leaving money in the bank. You know, maybe they're saving up, you know, in this country to buy a house or do something like that. Guilty on that, I think. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, no, I'm We've got to get you doing something about I it. I still don't. Yeah, we've got to get you doing something about it. And it's funny. People often say I'm really good at managing, you know, organizations, businesses, finances, except my own. Just you know, it happens a lot. It's shocking, right. even that it happens that much. See, for me, I use Invest Direct, right, for HSBC, and I just manage my own but even then it's you know I'm, I'm really just stock picking and and just not diversified at all yeah. and, it's and just, it must feel like you kind of like i'm guessing yeah pretty much yeah. Just, what's yeah. the average net worth of your of your client i'm sure it has a big standard d but 
Yeah, I think it's probably easier to talk in medians um, because, you know, as you as you know, we have you know, billionaires on on there, so um, you know the significant impact on the average. Right. Um, you know, probably going to say net worth of around uh, three thirty, three forty, um, um, hundred, so three hundred forty thousand pounds, okay. maybe or something like that. Gotcha. Um, and I'm, what I'm trying to do in my head and think about this is because. Lots of our clients will be in the process of paying down a mortgage, so you net the debt off, and, and so on and so forth. And our clients are interesting. Some people come and give us all, all of their liquid cash straight away, but other, others tend to test us with a small amount and then build up their accounts over time. Interesting. You know, and just see how we're doing and check the service and you know, that kind of thing. Talk to me about UX, because you, you mentioned it earlier, and it's, it's, I mean, this is how this makes or breaks companies. Who are we kidding, right? Yeah. And people get it right or they get it wrong. You've obviously taken some time. You've got some hotshot standard, uh, Stanford grads to do it. I'm guessing you watch it all the time and try to improve it. How do you get it right, you know, in an industry that's where everyone's trying to get it right? I think you, you allow these guys who are incredible, um, you know, to fly, really. Uh, and one of the key tenants that we took out of building this was that we weren't going to hire people for, for UX who had worked in finance before. Oh, right. mm-hmm. So if you come from a background that is finance, you're going to build things like you've done it before. Right, where the customer's not important, <laughs> right? Well, yeah, I mean, there are requirements. Uh, and, and, and actually, it's worth mentioning, of course, that we have compliance and, and regulatory constraints. So you've got to plaster risk warnings everywhere. You've got to really make sure that you highlight, um, you know, highlight the, the, the perils of investing to people. And, and that it's going to be bumpy. And one way that I, I would illustrate this in a, in a really telling way, and this is a good lesson for all financial services companies, I think, is we discovered it, you know, over the last three years that if you make it easy for people to take out their money, they trust you more. Right? If you start operating on teaser rates and lock-in periods and fees for taking out money, people are like, oh, hang on. You know, I, I, I'm going to need that. And so if we, can, if, if we are more open with them, and this is real UX stuff, if we, are, if we are more open with them, they tend to be more open with us. Funny when they say cancel anytime you want, yeah. you're just so much more trusting. Like, well, especially these contracts and all People just, so with my coffee, the subscription, it's amazing. The first couple of months we were running, people were like, hold on, what do you mean I can cancel anytime I want? Where's the catch? Yeah, exactly, where's the catch? Like, no yeah. catch, man. If you don't like my coffee, that's cool. But isn't it sad that mankind's <laughs> got to the point where it's yeah. like, we're asking where the catch is. Yeah, exactly. It's like, Surely it should be the other way around. Yeah. 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 Very yeah. philosophical. Mm. What, what's your biggest challenge in the next year? Is it scaling? Uh, I mean, that's such a big issue in this industry. Well, you're at the scale level, so this is really the big time. It's like everything you've done up to now was so hard. Now that doesn't matter, and now you have to scale or die. Is it, is it like that, and how do you do it? Well, we've, you know, we've all lived through that um, you know, as entrepreneurs. The, going from you know, one person to six people is... Uh, different to going from six people to fifteen, going from fifteen to thirty, thirty to eighty, you know, eighty to two hundred or whatever it is. And you're about forty now. Uh, yeah, so we're we're in that stage of sort of thirty to eighty, and uh, well, almost fifty. And I, and I think it's it it's totally different. So I would echo what you've said. It's totally different to run, you know, going from five to fifteen. And so there are those growing pains that you have to start thinking much more about procedures and policies and making people happy. Not just because you know there's a couple of bananas on the table, right? It's it's actually like we are going to have a proper organizational structure and corporate culture corporate and all culture, that. Stuff, yeah, right. and and I think that's so. When you talk about challenges, you know, it's easy for me to reel off things like sort of team and product development and all the rest of it. But 
you know, actually, if we really want to be the company we want to be, then one of the hardest things we've got to do now is maintain the corporate culture that we have. And our corporate culture is to think about the customer in every decision that we make. So whether it's what office do we want and how much is that going to cost us to um, a product development, um, you know, and, and actually that's pretty hard to do, right? Pretty hard to do. Um, Amazon, I read, had a great example the other day. So they started by building their own desks, which we didn't know about, but we did that as well. Yeah, and, and with when, doors, right? You had the doors, yeah, right? So when Bezos yeah. went down to the shop, the cheapest wood he can find was the doors. So yeah. They still have them, apparently. Yeah, apparently they still have them, and your desk is a door, and if you get asked, if you ask why your desk is a door, yeah. they tell you because the customer, we save it for the customers. Uh, so the whole ethos. If you look at those old 60-minute interviews, there's Jeff Bezos and his door, door desk, yeah. you know, and he's driving a crappy car, and yeah, I mean, I guess everything carries down. So I'm reading Ben Horowitz's book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things. He's one half of Adresen Horowitz, you know, big VC yeah. fund in Silicon Valley, and he's all about talking about how you make this transition now, and how you really try to instill that company culture and if you don't do these things and get these managers right and get these you know you know you know the EKRs and everything then it just is not not going to happen and it's it's fascinating he also is a big fan of having the founder and the CEO stay with the company and not to hire someone to scale and uh, I want to get your thoughts on that (laughs) that, that's happening less and less I I, yeah someone told me a stat recently that, that like how how small a percentage of startups after three years actually have the sort of founder CEO. Oh, still keep in. it. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. Well, I mean, you know, that, and that's the ones that survive, right? right so right. probably a good 50% of those are dead. Easy, yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, it's tricky. I mean, I, I remember in that book um, that you're talking about, uh, the Horowitz book, he, he goes through a specific instant about swearing. Yeah, you know, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Whether they should allow swearing in, in he uh, swears a lot, and he got some complaints about it, and so they had a big meeting about it, right? Yeah. So tell the story. <laughs> well, I mean, as far as I remember it, they they determined that it was a part of the culture, and they wanted to keep it, and they were going to, you know, they just wanted people to feel comfortable around the fact that there was going to be swearing, and and I think you know this, these are the kind of decisions that you need to make, and and just reinforce the team, but. What you need to do that's so important that people forget is you need to communicate them to new starters, right? Because that's what's so hard about it. So it's all very well for us to say, okay, the three of us are going to set up a business. We've got a corporate culture here. You know, we're going to have to decide between, you know, shirts and T-shirts for the three of us, right? So that's going to be tricky. But it's fine. We've made our decision. But what about number four who comes in the door? What about number five? What about number six? And I think, you know, the bit that's often hardest about maintaining corporate culture is the reality that there's an in-crowd, and then there's new people, and, and you have to make sure that those new people feel comfortable. Okay, so how do you do this? You're in a, a London tech startup market in fintech, no less, where everybody wants the talent. Um, you've got to hire people in. You've got to get the right people and instill corporate culture. How do you do it? Yeah. Uh, these are the kind of questions that professors charge like 3,000 3, pounds an hour to answer, right? So, <laughs> oh, it's consultants? So here we go. I mean, for, for me, it's about taking the time up front to explain the culture, and then... Uh, you know, I'm not the greatest person um, when it comes to sort of making sure it's all written down and giving a handbook and being like, here, where you start. I think that should be done, absolutely. Um, but, you know, where I think personally I can have value and you need both sides of the equation is, is the pre, pre-discussion, right? So in our, in our company, the culture is very thoughtful, it's very intellectual, it's very discursive. Um, you know, it's, it's about wanting to get to know the person next to you because they're very, very interesting, but they're not necessarily going to volunteer that information, right? So everybody looks out for each other. It's polite, you know, it's clean. 
Um, you know, it's, it's not, you know, edgy, right? Okay. No swearing? Um, uh, no, not okay. particularly. Okay. Not particularly. Okay. Um, but that you're saying yeah. this is kind of different than some startups, you're saying? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I mean, absolutely. I mean, you know, we, um, we, we go around, but it's different from big companies as well. And, and we all know that, you know, as soon as you walk in from one place or, you know, to another, it's just a different way of doing things. Um, but the one, the, the atmosphere we wanted to create was where, you know, no matter who it is, the most senior hire can go and have a drink or lunch, you know, with the new intern who's come in because we know that those people are going to be fascinating. We know that all of us are curious people. We know that, you know, we're thinking about a mission which is really important. And, you know, it's not about being crazy for us. It's about driving something forward that is really meaningful. Um, and as corny as it may sound, it's changing people's lives. And, and, and the reality is we have changed people's lives over the last three years. Do you do team building exercises? Yeah, occasionally. I, I, I don't want to reveal to the team what the next one is, but it's happening in two weeks. Do they do they um, stand on the table and fall backwards? Or, although, <laughs> although we are, we, I tell you, we have uh, some 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 keen beans in our office have just signed everyone up for um, the uh, London uh, Fitness Challenge, whatever it is in in, in Wembley. That the, this mm. 10k where you have to run over obstacles. Yeah, you guys should look at that. Yeah, sure. that would be so. Good. So mm. I'm gonna I'm, I may not run over them, but I can probably roll over them. So you'll do that and and see if people want to do that. Well, I think the whole team will be doing. Is that, that. mandatory? It's not, I don't think it's going to be mandatory because okay. someone needs to hold the hold the drinks at the end. So we've got, you know, there needs to be like, you know, there needs to, we're British. There needs to be Spoken some like beers. A true English <laughs> exactly. There needs to I be some it. beers at the end, right? <laughs> but I, um, you know, I, I, the, the problem for me is that, of course, being fiercely competitive, I'm now going to have to train because I can't let any of them beat me. <laughs> no. Although so one of them probably will, but yeah. you, maybe not. Yeah. Fired. Oh. I mean, yeah, they won't next year if they do this year. <laughs> Talk to me about Stanford. I mean, you spent two years, you know, in California, right. and then you made a decision to come back to the UK. When I guess you could have done something similar in the states. Uh, a lot of people that we've had in this chair never had that experience. You know, they've been here their whole lives. What, what did you What did you learn at Stanford? What did you learn from the Yanks? And why did you decide to come home? Yeah. Well, I guess as we can all say safely in this environment now, we've all fled America, haven't we? So, I know. Yeah, um, yeah. They don't want me. So <laughs> yeah, they don't want you. They probably don't want me anymore. That's right. Uh, look, it was a life-changing, wonderful experience that uh, you know I would encourage anyone um, you know to, to go and do. Uh, I am a totally different person for being there. Um, in, incredibly more self-aware. Um, you know, have the most wonderful friends. Have experiences to remember uh, and laughs that I will, I will never forget. And, and that's even without getting into the academia or anything like that. Um, the, the Stanford as a university is a place where, uh, I mean, it, it's just magical. And there's very little way of describing it other, 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 other than superlatives. Um, and, and those two years were very formative in everything that I've done. Um, for nutmeg was that a dream you always had to go to school and MBA in the states or yeah. was it always west coast well it wasn't MBA necessarily so um, when I graduated high school um, I wanted to be a teacher so I still want to be a teacher so when I grow up I'm going to be a teacher uh, and I'm just you know um, doing a bit of lecturing now and things but uh, like professor college professor yeah, university. yeah just sort of getting into that but I really uh, wanted to be a teacher so I went over to Canada and got a teaching job and I lived, lived in Vancouver Really, really loved it. Nice. And uh, on my summer holidays, I went down to um, California. I had a couple of cousins living down there. And so I stopped by, and the tech stuff was exploding in California. It was just an incredible period. 
everyone was having an amazing time, really good fun. And uh, so I thought, okay, this is cool. I'd like to be involved in this because I'd always loved business as well. So that was a, a real passion for mine and making money, I guess, you know, which is why university wasn't necessarily on the cards, going straight to a job. So they said to me, you know, hey, why don't you go to Stanford? You'll love it. So I turned up, Stanford, knocked on the door, go down Palm Drive, said, hey, can I come study here? And they looked at me and they were like, are you serious? They were like, no, you can't. You know, you're from high school in England, average grades, haven't done the application forms, go back and think about it again. You literally went to the <laughs> yeah, campus. Yeah, I was Because I, I, I didn't know. It. Neither of my parents went to university. Like, it wasn't something that was ingrained in our family. And, and I... And I, and I guess I, you know, from that moment, I was like, I really want to come. I really want to come and I really want to be part of this. I, I just love the scene. I came back to the UK, um, did start my university, went to Exeter. I had a wonderful time there with many lifelong friends now, some of my best friends. Um, you know, did lots of business ventures there, um, played a lot of sport, um, did a bit of work. But for me, you know, that environment, that Stanford environment was always going to be where I wanted to learn, where I wanted to do my study. Um, a lot of inspiration from other pupils. I mean, we used to get together after class at Stanford and you know, form groups and discuss businesses and rip each other apart. And you know, but it's so you know, it's the, it's the place you want to be because everyone's like, da, 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 you know, so sharp, highly entrepreneurial. Mm. Well, yeah, but it's more than just entrepreneurial because un- entrepreneurs are, you know, I used this analogy yesterday. But entrepreneurs are the kind of people who are good in defense and good in attack, right? So. You're really stubborn and persistent. You solve the problems, and you're really good on attack, and you're visionary. Not so good in, you know, in, in stable motion. And and the thing about Stanford is there are a lot of entrepreneurial people there, but you're also dealing with people who can challenge you because they're sex specialists or professors who are uh, world leaders in their, you know, in their field. I remember during the financial crisis, I was talking to one of my finance profs in his office, and we're having a good discussion about another crazy idea that I had. And uh, the phone started going. And so he looked down after two rings and looked up, looked down again, looked up and said, Nick, do you mind if I take this? Uh, it's, it's the White House. Let's <laughs> <laughs> uh, say it's Green's band. And, and I, was like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, okay, no problem. You know, sure. uh, uh, five minutes only. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty intense. All right, so you had a good experience at Stanford. Yeah. Uh, did you think about staying in the Valley? I thought about it. And, um, you know, the honest truth is that uh, it was better for us to set up Nutmeg here from a regulatory point of view, from a marketplace point of view, from a technological adoption point of view. So more Brits, for example, use mobile banking than, uh, and online banking than everywhere in the world, apart from Iceland. Be amazed to hear, a higher high percentage. Um, the regulator here is incredibly um, you know, responsive to smaller companies. They've just set up a new project innovate where they're going to incubate small companies the regulator is going to incubate small companies i mean this is yeah, that was good to hear awesome right, right? Yeah. i mean it's just great uh so you know uh, we everything was really conditioned to be here there's great engineering talent um you're not fighting with facebook and google for those guys so yeah i mean it, it felt like a sensible fit and of course uh although i'm not from london i do think it's the greatest city in the world and I couldn't face being in San Francisco where everything shuts at two o'clock. And amen to that. Yeah, you know. um, <laughs> and and you know, you spend time there on the West Coast. When you come back and look around and look about the mentality and the way that London's developing, is there stuff that you see from that Stanford lens where you're like, okay, 
we need a little more of this. We need a little more crunchiness or hippiness or UX or something. There must be some California part of you that brings you in a different direction as opposed to, you know, if you went to L- LB, LBE or something like that. Sure. I mean, maybe um, for me, it's not necessarily the uh, cultural stuff because I, I don't think I'd ever be, you know, uh, you know a, a, a massive hippie type character. But I think it's the, the ecosystem, right? It's the belief. So I'll give you an example. When I came back, uh, and I was at a drinks party with my with my folks. It was Christmas, and uh, speaking to someone who asked me what I was doing it was you know one of their parent, one of my parents' friends. And I said, "Hey, I'm starting a company." I just never forget. She said, um, "She said, don't worry, Nick. You'll find a job soon." <laughs> right? <laughs> this and, is 2010. Yeah, 11. Uh, something like that. And yeah. and I and I I just thought to myself that just wouldn't be the case in California, right? Because the whole ecosystem, the whole cool thing to do is be an entrepreneur and you know more that you know what more significant than any company that's grown in this country over the last three years that I've, I've been back or more significant than any funding round that's happened has been the entire feeling of development of startups and technology and entrepreneurship in this country and I promise you if I had the same conversation now that person even being outside London even being older would say that's cool Right. You know that's a great thing to do, and I and it's you know what makes it real is the fact that you know usually as you're part of this stuff you don't feel it, but I think we could all agree that we actually do feel it. You know the rise of tech, the rise of young business, the influx of people from all around the world who want to work in London, and it's and it's just phenomenal, and I think that has been the single most important thing that's happened, you know for our you know for our ecosystem, and if I could choose what to take from California, I'd take another years of, 10 years of development, another 10 years forward. But, you know, if they took, what, from Bill Draper in 1950 to where we are today to get to Silicon Valley, I reckon we're going to do that in a fifth of the time here in London. And that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's exciting stuff. Mm. What do you see from a business standpoint when you look at their business and do you see, like, problems or issues? I mean, you were in finance for a long time. Yeah, you know, I, I guess... The biggest problem I see with, with what you guys do, it's so hard to scale outside of a country. Do you know what I mean? Because it's just, it's so regulatory heavy. And, and so for, you know, a guy like me, I'm from Canada and, you know, I'm here. Maybe I work in the U.S. or something. It's just having your platform international would just destroy the banks. And I just, I'm waiting for that mm-hmm. to happen. But, you know, we were talking earlier about the U.S. regulators and, and dealing with U.S. guys. Do you see that ever changing or is that like really really far down the road well i mean you know let's let's get to that stage first and, and this is one of the attractive areas about fintech is as a as a uh, as a entrepreneur and as an investor right i mean we need a tiny proportion of the market to be a massive company right because there are so many people out there and all of them require saving and investment so if we have one percent of the uk saving market We'd be in the you know the FTSE, FTSE one hundred. Wow. If we had five percent, we'd be you know we'd be bigger than Facebook, the biggest company in the UK. I mean, it's it's. So you the, don't really need to go outside. We don't really need right. to go outside, right? But that's the quote of the episode. If we had five percent of the market, we'd be bigger than Facebook. But I mean, we. But, yeah, <laughs> so, and by the way, that's completely unqualified, not calculated, whatever. But, he, he's going to get a call soon. Yeah. He'll be like, Hashtag. "Can I take this?" It's Zuckerberg. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'll be over there if uh, they want to do a partnership, but it's going to have to be 60-40 us them. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, you know, it's, uh, 
it is the beauty, but it's also the tough bit, right? So because it's such a valuable market, because it's so big, there's so much competition, right? So when you talk about challenges, you know, I, I think expanding into other countries is a bit of a luxury problem. Interestingly, the biggest thing I think about that is not about regulation. It's about culture. Because I am damn sure that, you know, every European nation has a very different culture, yeah. very different approach to savings. You know, the average Italian moves out of home at 42. Right? That's very different to how wow. we approach it here. So, so we'd have to go through that year period in every country before we as a company and our, our culture and our sort of mentality would feel comfortable about even thinking about that. Yeah. But let, let's spend the next three, four years dominating the UK, get really big, and then we'll have the resources to start doing that. And um, yeah, happy to have a conversation if you want to start Canada, <laughs> Canada branch for us. So you, you could acquire that in the future. You might acquire the guy that's doing it in Spain or doing it in Italy, or who knows, maybe you'll cross that bridge in yeah. the future. But, you know, Damien said the same thing about due Dill. He's sure. like, why do we have to go to America? Yeah, it's true. He was quite insistent on yeah. that, right? Yeah, no. and it's true, you know, just, and it's, it becomes that focus, right? We've heard over and over again, just focus on, you know, just do one thing really well in one market, and that, that's usually pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's yeah. come up a couple times. Even Emily from Blaze, yeah. you know, they did the laser light that projects the laser, blade, uh, yeah. the laser light way out in front. And she started off by saying, yeah, we're going to diversify products. And then she was like, actually, we decided, I think we're going to focus on this one thing yeah. and get this one thing right. So yeah. um, you've been quoted as saying, never get asked the same question twice. You've said that. What does that mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, uh, this is actually I say it quite a lot because if, if you're if you're talking about fundraising and and how how you should fundraise, this this is the context in which um, I, I like to use this line. But when I when I started uh, fundraising for Nutmeg, I think it was the forty eighth pitch where I got I got something. I was about a month away from stopping and going into a, you know a real job and. What I learned very quickly towards the end of those sort of number 35 was I was presenting this pitch and it had been refined and I, you know, practiced with friends and practiced with friendly VCs and done all the rest of it, but it was always the same pitch and I was always getting the same questions. And therefore, you know, I, I was always ending up with a zero result. And what, and what never get asked the same question twice means is if you are covering in your presentations the area which are important to the potential investors, right, then eventually someone, somewhere is going to have no questions to ask you. And generally that means there's nowhere to go apart from them to offer you money. And that's kind of what I learned on those last 10 pitches, was I was going to be pre-prepared. Right? I was going to include in my two minutes of talking, five minutes of talking, the answer to the question. And I soon worked out that if you nailed it down, then the poor guy who ends up being number 48 is like, oh God, I've got, you know, I've Better give this guy some money. <laughs> so anticipate what they're going to want to know or just make sure your presentation is so tight you know, there's no use, holes in it. Use what you've learned from your last presentation, right? right? your last conversation, to, to make sure that that question never comes up. right? So if, if we were having a conversation now and, and you were pitching to me an idea and I said to you, right, um, you know, what's, what's, what's the market size here? And you said, oh, well, you know, it's a million people, but 50,000 of them are going to use the product. And then of those, we think 20% will be repeat visitors. You know, that's not much. That's 10,000 people, right, who are going to come back. So when you're then pitching to Colin next time, you need to say, right, the addressable market here is a million people, but we reckon 10,000 are going to be loyal customers. They're going to be high-value customers to us. Here's how we engage them. After a period of engagement, we're then going to use them to be advocates for our product and we'll spread it to another 10,000, et cetera. 
right? So he can't ask you a question about market size because you've dealt with that. And that's the thing. He's going to ask you something different. He's going to ask you about your financials, you know, whatever it is. And then for the next person, you go, oh, and our addressable market is million, and then do that. And then you say our financials are this. And, it, you know, it is a pretty surefire way of knowing that if you can solve all those questions, you can have a good result. Right. So learn from your mistakes. And if there are no questions at the end, then they have to write you a check. And then be quiet, right, at right. the end. So yeah. stop. That's a good technique. You know, and then that. make them ask the question. That's yeah. a good technique. It's like a, the snowball effect of pitching. Because <laughs> you, right. you're, you're constantly building on your pitch to incorporate what you've learned uh, with all the previous pitches. I think it's great. Great advice. And another thing you spoke about is you, you said as a person you need to find out what motivates you. And you need to really drill, drill down. This probably goes back to your research work for, for Nutmeg. And uh, you said that like it could be wealth or it could be lifestyle or notoriety or changing the world. But yeah. you need to figure out what motivates you. Like really get granular on it. And then go from there. What do you mean by that? Okay, so, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, you're going to spend every waking moment of your life thinking about this thing. You know, you're going to bore your friends silly by talking about your company. Your, your family are going to, you know, think you're a complete nutter because you're living in an apartment that you also house four people in to do coding into the middle of the night. You know, and, and somehow, somewhere, you've got to know there's a purpose at the end of it. And it's absolutely fine if that purpose is financial. Right? It's absolutely fine if your purpose is to save the world. And we see many incredible people doing these amazing things all over the world, you know, for non-profits and for think tanks. Um, we see many people who are doing something because they have a real passion for, for whatever it is, and, and, you know, whether it's design or e-commerce or whatever. Um, but knowing that, right, knowing that is, is, it allows you to justify to yourself why you're being so mad, right? Because there are always times that you're thinking, what, you know, why? You know, why am I doing this? And it's an interesting one. I mean, for, for me, um, it's about knowing that I can affect change for people and particularly affect change for my friends. Uh, and, I, you know, my sister's a good example of someone who uh, works really hard but, you know, isn't necessarily particularly interested in her investments. And I know that by her saving with Nutmeg, she will get to retire earlier than if she saved with someone else because we're not ripping her off on fees we're doing everything we can to build you know, an, an optimal portfolio. And that really matters to me. Right? So when I ask, why should I get out of bed in the morning? It's because I really, really want to change the industry and I really, really want to change the lives of these consumers. And that makes me happier than anything else in the world. And what else motivates you? What else motivates me? Um, Besides changing the world. I don't know. Uh, That's like, not enough? <laughs> I mean, obviously, obviously, for me, it's it's you know there there are other things um, as well, but I'd say the secondary. So, you know, I, I love the idea of keeping fit, for example. So I do a lot of exercise. Um, I love being able to travel, and particularly in the last four years, it's been wedding dominated. So okay. I've been to, I think this Saturday is my thirty sixth wedding in the are last. You, are um, you always the bridesmaid, never the bride? That's true. That's, yeah, that's, that's, what, true. that's what happens when you go to grad school, that's right? True. You, you I've like, caught 15 bouquets and I still haven't found anyone. <laughs> that's right. If you're listening and you're interested. Um, <laughs> um, no, it's interesting because you, you, you mentioned those pieces. And do you think everybody falls into one of those things, kind of wealth, lifestyle, notoriety, or changing mind? I'm sure there are more, right. more than the examples we're giving, right? But, um, you know, there, are, there is definitely like a control one, for example, you know, people who want to be in control. Um, that's that's another one. Um, so so you know that we could make a list of the buckets and, and publish a thesis, I guess. But it's 
you know, it is all about understanding who you are and where it's coming from. Right? And if you were to ask your three best friends and your family, you know, do you think this is the true reflection of me? And they said yes, then I think you're probably on to right. Real and so a feedback loop. Are you getting any blowback from the industry? Do you do you hear from banks that are like, ah, I don't know about these guys, they might be affecting our market share? Or do you find it's the opposite, where banks are just oblivious to the fact until they lose a chunk of market share and then they're going to do something? How are you finding it? Uh, good question. I mean, we do get a lot of uh, visits, I guess, from larger organizations. So it's amazing. The people that have been like down Bar- to like Barclays Wealth Management will show up. Or? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, totally. People, people have been down to down to Nutmeg Towers uh, in Vauxhall. Um, Nutmeg you know, they're Towers. amazing, amazing CEOs and 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 board members of these just to talk because they're not going to be they're not just be to investing. talk, right? Just to talk and 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 see what's going on in the world. And you know, I think they have their strategic priorities as well. Um, you know, it's it's a differentiated market. Uh, we have people who are focusing. On giving advice, people are focusing on low value clients, people are focusing on 500,000, 3 million, people are focusing on 10 million plus. So I think everyone's interested in this. I think, I think one common factor that runs from, from us all the way through this business is, is that we've got to do a better client experience. So I think lots of people are looking at Nutmeg in the industry to think, well, could we provide an online experience? Do we want our customers right, to be logging in every day? Do we want them to have that visibility? Uh, you know, we've taken the view that whether we want them to or not, from a customer service point of view, it's what they want. Um, but it, you, you know, you have different arguments. So you'll probably make it the standard, just like next day yeah. delivery. Yeah, most you know, banks. Right? I don't think most banks want that transparency. You know, I asked the yeah. HSBC how they much probably you can't me. mark you to market every day anyway. Exactly. So you know, electronically, and then you find out you know they're taking three percent on your FX and all this sort of stuff, and they, they they'd rather it in the in the shadows. Yep, uh, and I think that's yeah. again, it's. You know, we, it's such a sad reflection of what is potentially a very noble industry. Yeah. You know, we're helping people with doing these things. And free banking is a good, a good one to argue here, right? Because I would much prefer that my banking was entirely transparent and I knew what was going on and I paid £10 a year for my current account. I would absolutely prefer that. Right? If I knew there was no ripped off, ripping off, there was nothing else, but I paid £10, £10 I'd be up for that. All right? Or what can happen is we don't know that it's happening. It's therefore branded as free, right? There's no charge, but then there are all the sneaky charges. And that's, and I, and I just think that's the wrong, wrong way around. It may feel better for me because I don't feel I'm being charged. But then once you find out, it's, it's right. horrible. <laughs> right. And now most people know in finance that that's happening yeah. and you want an escape, right? You want, you want, you want to get out of it. You used to work for Barclays, and I mean, obviously now you're at a startup. I mean, you know the innovator's dilemma. We've all known it, and it comes yeah. up in fintech all the time. And you know, you see like these uh, these in, these um, incubators now and accelerators that are sponsored by the banks. I mean, is it ultimately going to be an inno- you know an innovator, a small guy like you, that brings this whole new experience? Is it possible for a big bank to do what you're doing, or do you think since their priorities are so out of whack and their fee structure is out of whack, they can never actually do it? Yeah, we should say by the way, both the books you've mentioned. Uh, Horowitz and, and Christensen, um, probably top of the reading list as well. Good, right? Um, listening to Horowitz. Really, really good. So, um, so, so for anyone who's looking for summer reading, um, definitely pick up both of those. But you can do it in a big company. Procter & Gramble is a great example of this. You know, they, they deliberately set up companies to compete with existing companies they have. I mean, that is brave, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that takes some um, thinking about. You know, so, so, you know, how do the management... Um, you know, develop that style to be able to, to be able to say, say that we're committed to doing that. I mean, frankly, um, 
one of the issues with, with large finance companies is they have so many legacy systems that even just fixing those is going to be 10 years. Wow, 10 and, years. And, and that's going to be an issue. So I, I think that the changes that we've seen in incubators and in-house VCs and all this are incredibly important. But when I think about who's going to be developing the new way to buy your house, I don't think it's going to be banks. Right? I think it's going to be Google. Right, someone's going to come up with something different that isn't a mortgage, and that's not going to be a bank, um, and it's going to be a startup player. And the way I describe it when I'm talking to you know the board of a bank or something is, is you guys have to understand that it's like uh, building loads and loads of Lego blocks on top of each other, right? Where one Lego block is FX, and one Lego block is bond trading, and one Lego block is insurance, and one Lego block is 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 investments, right? And you are all of these things, right? So you're the big pile of Lego. And it doesn't really feel like you're being touched too much because, you know, someone is eating away at your FX trading or someone is eating away at your, you know, investment. So, you you know, the person who's running those divisions is like, eh, it's okay. You know, I'm part of a big organization. Yeah. I'm going to be there. But if you're running strategy and you're, and you're on the board of these things, you've got to understand that you're going from this to this to this to this to this. And eventually what's going to happen is you're, Lego blocks are all still standing on top of each other, but they're all really small, right? Because other people have eaten your lunch in every one of those departments. And you've got to think, do we actually want to specialize, you know, in some of these areas? And for example, Barclays really chopped back its, its bar cap, its investment banking, Big time. you know, in order to do that. And, and it's those kind of decisions which are very brave. You know, it's going to be hard for a bank to replicate Procter & Gamble, but they can make efforts to be the best at what they be, be the best at what they do, you know, I think in certain areas. Good advice. Um, Nick, we always ask everyone here uh, a couple questions at the end. I'm going to hit you with them. Uh, if you can make a phone call to the 20-year-old uh, Nick Hungerford and give that young man a bit of advice, what would you tell him to do? Uh, don't give up the double-handed backhand. I had a really good backhand. Double-handed? I, yeah, pre- I used to, and now I'm, now I'm, I'm single-handed. Pre, uh, what was it? it Pre-Agassi? No, no, no. Who, who was doing Was Agassi doing the double-handed? Agassi was doing a double-handed. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you had that. I had that. And then and, you dropped and I, it. And I dropped it for one coach who... Um, for the serve and volley. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, he wanted me to be more elegant. And, more like uh, Sampras when Sampras came yeah, around. Yeah, it was very sad. So, so that would be one thing. I haven't heard that one before. Okay, there we go. okay that's were, good. Were you like a, a rising star tennis player that... The, the, the two uh, hands I, was, I most it? definitely was a um, uh, maturing tennis player. Okay. <laughs> you seen the Royal Tenenbaums? Do you know that movie? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Were you that guy? Oh, okay. That, sorry. All right, well, yeah. the reference. Is that, is that the only advice? You said there was a second thing. Oh, I'm sure I could think of lots okay. of things. But, no, that's uh, good. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, what is the best advice you've ever received in your life? Let's go for non-business, if you wouldn't mind. But business, if you want. Um... I'm sure from my mum and dad, and it would be like, you know, just remember uh, the most important thing is to be happy. And, and I mean, that, isn't, that is something which, you know, said properly and meaningfully is, is, is so important, right? If, if you are down in the dumps, if you're earning £300,000 a year and you're unhappy, um, you're not having a good life. This is not a dress rehearsal. So make sure, you know, every day you're doing something you love, surrounded by the people you love, um, and be happy. And if you're not happy, then change what you're doing. Do you think our metrics are a bit out of whack, especially in a city like London, where everyone's like, I- I'm making this, and I have this car, and I should be happy, and they're not? I mean, do you think the metrics are whack sometimes, so people aren't really making evaluations about themselves, and then they crack after four or five years, and yeah, I think life um, changes? So it was Jennifer Arker's research recently that 
talks about the level of salary at which you progress happiness to. Right. And then after that, you're no more happy. What is it, 70 grand? I think it's 75, yeah. yeah. And, um, and that was so interesting for me because, because obviously the big point there is that at, at some stage, it's not about your progression, it's around, about the progression of people around you. So my friends have a bigger house. You know, my friends' children go to this school. You know, my friends getting promoted at, at that, etc. And that, that's what devalues your happiness. Um, so are we looking at the wrong metrics? I'm not, I'm not sure it's necessarily wrong because that's humans and that's how we interact, but would it be better if we looked at you know, gross domestic happiness like Bhutan instead of <laughs> gross domestic product? Um, we should do that as well. We should do that as well. I, I'm very proud of you know, being part of a country in Britain and having lived in Canada and America where you know, those countries are progressive and, and developing and you know, a, a good economy is something to be very proud of. But it's also you know, absolutely for certain that we should have a good standard of living and um, you, know, a, a, you know a good culture and reducing crime and all the rest of it. Yeah. I saw my mom recently, and she said, "Without gratitude, there isn't happiness." And then she's like, "Actually, there is no happiness without gratitude." And I thought about it a lot the last couple of days, and I'm like, "She might really have a point there." Yeah, it's true. And so yeah. it's like when you see these people that you know have these uh, sudden like near death experiences and stuff, they come back and they're mm-hmm. they're all of a sudden grateful for all the things that they never were grateful before. Right. Yeah. And then maybe they have a happiness spike. I don't know. I'm still working on that theory. Um, the last question is advice to the 20 year old that's listening somewhere around the world that wants to be involved in, in technology somehow. And they could be in China or they could be in California. What do you tell them? Hmm. What do I tell that person? Uh, I would tell that person that they should do whatever they can to join a company that has a mission that they can be passionate about, right? So whether it's interning at Amazon or sitting on the door of Judil until they finally give you a job or being part of a fashion startup that has three people and volunteering to make the coffee. And if I was 20 years old and, and I wanted to be in technology, I would do whatever it takes to go to the company that, I was passionate about. It doesn't matter if it succeeds or fails. You're going to have an incredible learning experience. Do whatever they ask you to do. If they ask you to, you know, learn design, learn design. If they ask you to learn a code, go code. If they ask you to put a marketing event together, go do, do that. But surround yourself by people who share a mission, and your naivety, I think, will be turned into a set of skills which will be incredibly powerful for whatever you go on to do. Powerful advice from Nick Hungerford. Thank you so much for that. And that's a good point. Don't just jump into tech for tech's sake. Yeah. Go to a place that really shares your, your passion and mission because the tech will go away and the passion mm-hmm. stays, right? So how do people uh, sign up for an account on Nutmeg? Obviously, uh, the Americans are not allowed, um, and I'm taking that very personally. I was literally <laughs> going to sign up today. Um, but uh, how do people do it? Is there anything they should know? What, what's, what's It's super story? simple. So nutmeg.com, you can do everything in about eight minutes. Um, and uh, get started. If you need to, you can come and see us. If you want to, you can phone us, but we're available over secure email, um, web chat, if that's your thing as well. But it's, it's really hard to, to say anything more complicated than uh, go to nutmeg.com and, and get started. It's okay. really easy. I did it yesterday, and I'm not very smart. Look at you, man. Look at you, man, trying out these things. And you are hiring as well? Yeah, absolutely. So lots of vacancies on our careers page. Um, so... Um, please do check that out as well. I mean, we've, we've got a growing team. Um, 
fantastic environment. Now you know what it's like because I've told you all about it as well. And uh, we'd love to meet um, really smart people who, um, who share our mission. You're going to get a slew of CVs. Who, would, who wouldn't want to work for this man? All right. That's fantastic. Um, Nick, thanks so much for coming in. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, it was great. We got an email from uh, some, one of your people a few weeks ago, and I was just like, yes, yes, I know. Well, that, thank you for yeah, having great. me. That's no, been great. Thanks, guys. It's been great. Really good insight. Not only we had the business model, but we got some, some really good thoughts there. So thanks if you're watching us live. We appreciate you starting off your Friday evening with us. Bank um, holiday weekend. Yeah. yeah. Thanks yeah. For sitting Bank here watching weekend. us. I know, right? If uh, you're watching us on YouTube, please uh, come to iTunes and subscribe to the audio version. It's great. It automatically downloads to your smartphone, and you can listen to us in the tube or on the plane or, or anything like that. And uh, there you go. It's uh, episode, I think, 50-something, late 50s. Uh, if you want to uh, contact us, it's hello at siliconreal.com. We're always looking for guests. we got a couple interns that are really rocking for us. Yeah, we're um, hard. So, uh yeah, if you you know if you want to help out, summer's over. But uh, you know if you're a student or something like that and interested in helping out, and got lots 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 of stuff to do. So. Yeah, and hit us up with your guest suggestions on Twitter at Silicon Real. Um, there you go. Thanks so much for uh, Lend Invest, uh, which is one of our sponsors, um, P2P lending platform. Check them out at lendinvest.com. Great story, uh, great way to uh, uh, get some returns there. Uh, although I uh, can, do I have to do a disclaimer before I tell people to do that? I don't think so. I think okay. the disclaimer's on the website. Okay, go to But it's for, for investment or, you know, you, you can invest and get good returns, but then it's also if you need, you know, if you need bridge financing too, so. Right. It's a, it's a cool spot. I'll go to Nutmeg. Yeah. Um, there you go. As we say on Silicon Reel, it's about the people. Thank you so much, Nick, and uh, all the best. Thanks. All right, guys. Take care. Cheers. Why I love tech and why I'm so passionate about it is it is very open. And, you know, when people come and set up businesses here and they're on the Internet, well, suddenly you're connected to the whole world. We should learn from Silicon Valley. There's no reason why we can't adopt some of their best practices. And I've pulled one or two of those into Tech London Advocates. But I think to say, oh, you know, we want to be Silicon Valley in three years or five years. Well, they've been around for 75 years. Look, we're starting afresh here. Let's go for it. Um, Let's learn from them, but let's create something that's unique for London.